Welcome to the Gospel for Life. We have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but rather it's for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. I'm Josh Bales, pastor of the Well Church, here with Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Phil Moran, pastor at Christ Presbyterian Church, and Jonathan Van Hoogen, pastor at Spring United Reformed Church. Now, if you'd like to find out more about us or catch past broadcasts or get information about our annual conference, you can find us at ReformationVoice.com. All right, welcome back to the show today. Pastor Russ is not with us, but we do have Pastor Phil and Pastor Jonathan in the studio. Pastor Phil, can you plug our upcoming conference for us? Uh, no, I can't because I don't remember the dates. <laughs> it's uh, September 17th and 18th. Uh, the topic is Be Thou My Vision. The two speakers coming, Dr. Robert Godfrey, Dr. Terry Johnson, excellent speakers who understand that all of life is lived before God. And uh, the subject is uh, worship. Be Thou My Vision. You know, this is the chief end of man that we offer up uh, everything that we do to the glory of God. Right. So uh, I think it's going to touch on you know, just like everything else, the gospel touches on all of life. This aspect of worship talks about our relationship with God, which pervades all of life. That's right. That's mm-hmm. Worship is what we were made for. That's mm-hmm. right. So we're not reducing it to that, you know, those, those 20 minutes that you sing songs to God on Sunday morning. It's all of life. Yeah. What uh, the, West, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, what is the chief end of man? Yeah, man's chief end. To glorify to, God and, and enjoy, enjoy him, him forever. Real quick, I uh, I remember several years ago, um, several years ago for me, this was probably <laughs> like 15 years ago, and I was driving down the road, I was actually listening to this station, and I heard Steve Brown come on the radio, and he quoted that first question of the Westminster Confession, and I had never heard that before. Yeah. Hmm. And it was like mind blowing mm-hmm. that in one short sentence, my entire life could be summed up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Your reason for existence. My reason for existence. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Uh, so uh, we, we promised that we are about done with this topic of critical race theory. We, we are growing a little weary of it ourselves, but I, I guess I just want to make a li- one more little plug. Um, the Bible talks to all of our life. Like, it talks about how to be parents. It talks about how to do your finances. It talks about how um, to have uh, relationships with your neighbors. It talks about how uh, to do government. Mm-hmm. Government. Right. Um, there's not one part of life that the Bible doesn't speak to. And um, and so this isn't you – know, we're not like diving into to politics here to be political. We're talking about a subject that – that very much touches um, on the gospel because it offers an alternative gospel. Mm-hmm. And so that's why we think it's really important to address. You, got, you guys think that's accurate? Oh, most definitely. I mean, and uh, you know, if it, you know, we've talked about it in the past few weeks. You know, you need to go back uh, even in the opening pages of Genesis. You know, when we were talk, you know, we talk about critical race, uh, but we don't realize that God has made. Um, from one man, uh, the nations of the earth, yep. as it says in Acts 17. Or, Josh, you were pointing out, um, you know, other passages uh, before we were on the air. Um, you know, so if you take from Genesis 
to Malachi, to mm-hmm. the end of the Old Testament, yeah. uh, you know, in Malachi 2.10, have we not all one Father? Has not God created us? Yeah. And it's the reminder that we have all been created in his image. This is, you know, when we get that fixed in our mind, that we've all been created in the image of God, uh, then that ought to define how we treat one another. Mm-hmm. We're all image bearers. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, only the gospel helps us treat image bearers the same. You know, this this idea of critical race theory actually is dividing the race. It, yeah. It's creating division rather than that acceptance of everyone because right now the best thing you can do if you're a critical race theory is put all the blame on one race. Yeah. Well, and, and that's the ironic, perhaps ironic thing about it. Critical race theory is actually racist. Very much so. Um, it blames and demonizes es- especially white people. And, and I'm not saying that because I'm a, a white person. Any type of racism is wicked and evil in the sight of God because all human beings are made in the image of God. So it's wicked to be against any particular skin color. Right, you- uh, right. And uh the Apostle Paul, uh, in his famous sermon on Mars Hill in Acts 17, that God, he said, God has made from one blood every race uh, mm-hmm. under heaven. And uh, so race, racism is and always has been a sin. But the, the only answer that the world has ever seen, the only real solution to race, racial enmity that the world has ever seen is the gospel. The Apostle Paul, in, in his cultural context, there was no greater division than between Jew and Gentile. You know, it's interesting, that, you know, that how people will set aside science. We're talking about biology here. We're talking about things that are immutable to if you were born with a certain color of skin, um, that's an immutable thing. You can't, you can't do anything about that. Um, but also, we rec- when we say that God created us from um, our first parents, well, science actually kind of points back that, back that way too, because you'll, you'll notice that, you know, did we, you know, regardless of how the scientists are defining it, they'll say here was the f- first human in, you know, in Lucy or mitochondrial DNA can be traced back to one uh, mitochondrial Eve and that sort of thing. So, you, you know, it's all pointed to the fact that we all came from one place. Yeah. And this is something that um, they're missing out when they b- redefine these things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of, one of the things, you know, I've said before on the show, the critical race theory has elements of truth in it. Uh, if, if, if it didn't, it wouldn't be persuasive at all. Right. And in, any truly deceptive falsehood always has elements of truth in it. And one of, one of the elements of truth in uh, critical race theory is that they will say that race is a social construct, that it's something that we've, society has made a big deal out of and separated the races out when that's not essential to our humanity. And you know what? They're right. Mm. They're mm-hmm. absolutely right. Yeah. Uh, it is a social construct, and, and we make a much bigger deal out of it than it, than it actually is. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have a long history uh, in this country and a, a long sinful history of segregating the races. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and not just blacks from whites, but Asian, uh, Hispanic, uh, Italian, Polish, 
Uh, you know, you go into the, <laughs> it used to be you could go into any, go back to the early, early 20th century USA and go to any major city, particularly back east, well, not just back east, but go to any major city. There would be a Polish neighborhood. There would be an Italian neighborhood. There would be a Chinese neighborhood. There's a mm-hmm. black neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And, and we took something that's not essential to our humanity and made it a point of division. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, when I was growing up, my, well, I grew up in a, a family. My dad was half Italian. And, uh, you know, we had the last name Van Hoogen. And that, but he grew up in a society where it was not a very popular thing to be Italian. So he always emphasized, uh, you know, being Dutch. As kids, we liked Italian food a lot better than anything else. So we were really happy to be Italian at that point. Yes. You know, they had the best food. Um, so, you know, the people have this, we have the potential of categorizing people, whether, you know, I mean, and and we see that you know you know with um, you know when we look at biblical history we see the persecution of the Jewish people they were not the most has it define it you weren't the most the biggest nation on the earth God chose them mm-hmm. you know but the point is he chose them to be a blessing mm-hmm. to all the other nations because yeah. through them he was going to bring a savior and so I I I think that we met, sometimes we, as you point out yes we have these elements and all of us have experienced a certain degree of persecution you know uh, for who we are regardless of skin color there's a range of heights in our room I, I was never chosen at first in dodgeball you know I was never chosen first to do any of those sporting activities because we all have get different gifts uh, that we bring. And, uh, and so I think that we can all kind of be sympathetic to, you know, people who have suffered persecution. Yeah. The answer isn't to, isn't this Marxist, you know, uh, you know, change, you know, flip the script and let them persecute you. It is knowing the gospel that God has created us in his image mm-hmm. uh, to be image bearers. And we bear and are reflecting him That's right. in this world. Yeah, the... The Marxist solution to any kind of oppression, which is when when we talk about critical race theory, we're talking about Marxism. The Marxist worldview is that everything is about power, and there's an element of truth in that. Human beings like power. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. We like to be in charge, and particularly we like to be in charge of ourselves. And the reason why Marxism can never work, and by the way, no Marxist society in the history of the world, and they've been around for 200 years, no Marxist society has ever achieved their goal of equity, yeah. mm-hmm. their goal of equality. Yeah. And the Soviet Union and, the, and, the, and communist China were willing to kill millions to get there, yeah. and they still couldn't do it. Yeah. Uh, because w- what they think is you, you, you just spread power out but if everybody's hungry for power, if everybody's vying for power, yeah. it's, that is an endless, endless struggle because we're sinful human beings and we like power. We like to have oppressive authority over others. And, but the gospel is a call to me that myself, that power-hungry self, gets crucified, gets nailed to the cross along with Jesus and now I'm called to humility and servanthood. Th- that the gospel is the only thing that I've ever seen in my life, and I would say the only thing we've ever seen in history, that actually gets people to let go of power, yeah, yeah, in order to be 
united as one people. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, that's you know, this is the example of Christ that Philippians will point out in Philippians 2, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you not look only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. The gospel does that. Um, nothing else does that. Yeah. Yes. You know, we, because we're all, we all live in a sense of comparativeness. You know, in fact, self-religion is all about comparing yourself to somebody else. I'm not as bad as them. Therefore, I'm, be- and, you know, <laughs> yes. that I'm, I'm on the track to this salvation. If I can find at least, uh, you know, a few people that are worse than me, they're the ones that are guilty and not me. Yeah. Yeah. I mentioned earlier that in the Apostle Paul's time, the great division was between Jew and Gentile. In the second chapter of Ephesians, Paul says that Christ has broken down the dividing wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile and made out of the two one. And uh, that's, that's the only genuine unity that the human race is going to ever find is unity in Christ. Amen. Well, you have been listening to the gospel for life. We will see you next time. 